Salutations, listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it's our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are going to do a free-for-all Dr. Jazz grab bag. We've done a couple of these in the past, and I've actually received some emails and some feedback saying, you know, I, I never know what to expect. I like most of the tracks you pick. Keep on doing what you're doing. So, <clears throat> to Brian and a couple of those others out there, um, I appreciate the comments and the feedback, and you got it. So, um, I tried to make this one pretty varied. Um, there's even a couple of little sets that pair together things that you would never hear anywhere else. But we have a, a wide variety of tastes and likes here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast. So we really wanted to display a lot of those um, while still keeping it grooving. So there you have it. Um, yeah, so you can find us on SoundCloud on iTunes podcasts and on Stitcher and don't forget our website that's Dr. Jazz Podcast D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com please feel free to leave a comment feedback ideas for shows any questions we will ask them and answer them on the air for one of the upcoming podcasts so without further ado let's get to some music
So that was the State Street Ramblers, and of course that was um, a track called My Baby, and it comes from the CD, uh, State Street Ramblers Complete Recorded Works in Chronological Order, 
Volume 1, 1927 to 1931 on RST Records. Um, this particular track, My Baby, was recorded in 1928 and featured Natty Dominique on the trumpet and Jimmy Blythe on the piano. In fact, there was even a 78 uh, old record, you know, um, like for the Victrolas, entitled Blythe's Blue Boys as the artist, even though it was really the State Street Ramblers. And an interesting note, when I was looking up to making sure that that info was correct, um, you can actually buy that record, that 78 on eBay for $75 and $22 shipping from the Netherlands. (laughs) Oh, God. And if that isn't weird enough, the track before, the second track that we heard in that set, was um, Sadness by none other than Moondog. If you're not familiar with Moondog... This guy is a character, and a wonderful character that just ties in so many cool things. So check it out. His real name is Louis Thomas Harden. He was born in 1916 in Marysville, Kansas. Um, he is known as Moondog. M-O-O-N-D-O-G. All one word. Moondog. And he was a musician, composer theoretician, poet, and inventor of several musical instruments. He also went blind at the age of 16. Now, Hardin, or Moondog, lived in New York City from the late 40s until 1972. The late 40s till 72. And during this time, he was, he kind of camped out like so many, you know, crazy people do in New York City on the streets, right? He camped out uh, between 6th Avenue, uh, or on 6th Avenue between 52nd and 55th Streets. Now, jazz scholars, what was 52nd Street? Swing Street. That's right. That was the street. That was 52nd Street where... Charlie Parker, Art Tatum, Dizzy Gillespie, Coleman Hawkins, Pee Wee Russell, all those cats were playing, right? In that in that bebop heyday of the 40s, right? Right. So that's where Moondog was hanging out. Um, between there and 55th Streets. And he would wear this cloak and a horned helmet, um, kind of looking like a Viking, right? And he was always, you know, busking. If you're not sure what busking is, busking is like just playing out on the street, kind of like what you see in New Orleans, right? So he was busking and selling his music. Um, But many times he would just be standing there quiet. (laughs) Um, He was was recognized uh, affectionately as the Viking of 6th Avenue from thousands of passersby and residents who were not aware that he was a musician or his musical career. Uh, so, uh, kind of fast forward. Um, he was n- actually not homeless. He owned a, an apartment in uh, uptown Manhattan. And he even had... Yeah, he maintained an upper apartment in Manhattan and... 
he had a country retreat in Cander, New York. Uh, to which in 1972, that's where he moved. Uh, he supported himself during this time by selling copies of his poetry and musical philosophy. In addition to his music and poetry, he was also known for the distinctive fanciful Viking cloak that he wore. He was already bearded and long-haired, and he added a Viking-style horned helmet to avoid the occasional comparisons of his appearance with that of Jesus Christ or a monk, as he had actually rejected Christianity in his late teens. So... What's even crazier is that he developed a lifelong interest in Nordic mythology, and he maintained an altar to Thor, the Norse god Thor, in his country home in Candor. <clears throat> now, if that's not crazy enough, in 1949, he traveled to, the, to a Blackfoot sun dance in Idaho, where he performed percussion and flute, returning to the Native American music he first came in contact with as a child. It was this Native music, along with contemporary jazz and classical, mixed with ambient sounds from his environment, city traffic, ocean waves, babies crying, etc., you know, that created the foundation of Moondog's music. So, talk about the ultimate fusion artist, right? Here's where things get really juicy. In 1954, so he was well-established. If he was on the street from the late 40s to 72, 1954, is, he's already well-known, you know, as the Viking of Sixth Avenue by that point, right? So in 1954, Moondog won a case, a court case, in the New York State Supreme Court against Alan Freed. Yeah, that Alan Freed. Rock and roll god, rock and roll DJ, Alan Freed, right? Because Alan Freed had branded his show the Moondog Rock and Roll Matinee. Around the name Moondog, the person, using Moondog's composition, Moondog Symphony, the first record that he ever cut. And Alan Freed was using the song and his name. So, but nobody believed that this guy, who was this crazy long-haired, long-bearded guy, was in the right. They thought he was just crazy, you know, and he was just trying to, you know, smear Alan Freed's name in the dirt. Well, as it turns out, he was in the right. Alan Freed was the one who was in the wrong, and it took the help of Benny Goodman, the King of Swing the King of Swing, and Arturo Toscanini, the great con con conductor, who testified at that case that Moondog was actually a serious composer. So what the New York State Supreme Court had to rule was that Freed, Alan Freed had to apologize to Moondog and stop using the nickname Moondog on the air from that point forward on the basis of that Moondog was known by that name long before Alan Freed ever began using it. Boom. And that's the story of Moondog. 
All right. So enough talking. I know. I'm sorry, but that's just a fascinating story. And that was the second track that we heard. I urge you to check out more Moondog if you dug that second track. We open up the set with one of the coolest intros to one of the coolest songs by one of the greatest pianists. Talking about Oscar Peterson and his trio. Oscar Peterson on piano, Ray Brown on bass, Ed Thickpin on drums. We heard Chicago from the album The Trio, recorded live in Chicago on Verve Records, 1961. Yeah. All right. I'm going to stop talking. Got some more great music coming at you. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
Joe Henderson from his album 
page one on Blue Note Records, recorded June 3rd, 1963, with Joe Henderson on the tenor sax, the great Kenny Doram on the trumpet, McCoy Tyner on the piano, Butch Warren on the bass, and Pete LaRocca on the drums. Out of the Night, an original composition by Joe Henderson. Gotta love Joe, man. And before that, we heard from the great Lou Donaldson off of his 1967 album, Mr. Shingling. Yeah. We heard Peepin', which is this great little tune written by Dr. Lonnie Smith. Such a groove on that thing, man. We actually, let's see, uh, this, of course, Lou Donaldson was on alto sax and Dr. Lonnie Smith was on the organ. Uh, but Blue Mitchell was on trumpet. Jimmy Fats Ponder. Jimmy Ponder was on the guitar. And laying down that funky fat beat was Leo Morris on the drums. I know. For those of you who dig that kind of uh, soul jazz you know, era, you would have probably thought, hey, that sounds like Idris Muhammad, you know, because that dude was a funky mother, let's be honest. But no, this one was Leo Morris. That's right. I'm not saying they'd probably, you know, they didn't influence each other because it was all around the same era, but yeah, man. Leo Morris is laying it down. Definitely. And that album, of course, on Blue Note Records as well. Recorded October 27, 1967. Two Blue Notes in a row for you. What you think about that? And then we opened up that set with uh, the great Ben Webster with the Oscar Peterson trio from the album Ben Webster Meets Oscar Peterson. We heard... A very hauntingly beautiful track. It's just something that I've I've recently happened upon and I've listened to over and over again. It's just it's that perfect late night, you know, sipping on a cocktail sort of thing, you know, all alone in reflection sort of music. And it's called When Your Lover Has Gone. It's the second track uh, from this album. It was recorded in November of 1959. And, of course, it's Ben Webster on the tenor saxophone. Which, you know, that's the thing, is that Ben, I think, gets eclipsed sometimes with when we talk about so many of the titans of the tenor saxophone. You know, we talk about Coleman Hawkins and Prez, and, you know, we talk about Coltrane, and we talk about Joe Henderson, and we talk about Sonny Rollins, and, and they're all... Giants, titans, pillars, saxophone colossuses, you know. But the point is, is that we can't forget about cats like Ben Webster, because he truly is a titan. He could get that kind of raspy, get-it-going, bluesy thing the way that, that Hawk did, but he could also be very sentimental and mellow, like on this track that we heard, When Your Lover Is Gone. And, you know, that's the thing. Uh, I listened to a lot of Ben Webster when I was younger, and then I really got into that whole thing, you know, where you're churning through the tenor saxophonists, you know, uh, Lovano and Coltrane and Sonny and Dexter and, 
Then you get into like Grossman and Berg and all those cats like that too, you know, Brecker. But the older I get, I'm coming back to cats like Ben Webster, man. There's a humanity and a tenderness in their sound. You just don't get with a lot of these more modern cats. So, I'll take that back. Stephen Riley. Stephen Riley really reminds me a lot of Ben Webster. But with a modern angle, like modern thoughts. But his sound is good. He's got a really tender sound. I really dig Stephen Riley. Kudos to you, man. I'm going to put one of your tracks on a future podcast. So the odd thing about this track, When Your Lover Is Gone, is that it's written by this guy, um, and Enir. Let me see exactly. Einar. E-I-N-A-R. Einar A. Swain. Or Swan. I'm sorry. Einar Swan. Now, I don't know much about Einar Swan, but hopefully if you do, you can reach out to me because I'm always looking for feedback. DrJazzPodcast.wordpress.com Alright. Uh, got another great set of music coming at you. Don't move. Keep your ears tuned.
tried being stupid Ow! Instead of smart It wants you take out all the garbage That's in your brain Forget about your future Get jealous, jealous, jealous Just do tame Contortions from their 1979 album by that's B-U-I like Best Buy by We Heard Contort Yourself now the cool thing about James Chance and the Contortions is that they were actually part of that whole New York kind of new wave punk jazz scene you know, we think of a lot of cats like John Zorn being this downtown, you know, New York music maverick, you know, the downtown scene, you know, Bobby Previtt, Ardo Lindsay and all that, you know, the lounge lizards, etc. Right. But James Chance and the Contortions were actually one of the first, you know, uh, Zorn has mentioned in interviews, James Chance and how he was like one of kind of the pioneers of that whole punk jazz mentality you know so a lot of punk elements a lot of rock elements but there was also uh that 
jazz element within it as well. And you never knew from track to track which one was going to come out more, the jazz element or the punk element. So, yeah, something that you don't hear on a lot of jazz podcasts is James Chance. So, yeah, there you go. Um, Before that, Amir, 50 years previous... This is just, shit like this just blows my mind. 50 years previous to that, James Chance and the Contortions, we heard King Oliver. (laughs) King Oliver with New Orleans Shout. And, oh my God, so 1929 was when this track was recorded. And, um... Yeah, and I did that on purpose. So, you know, 50 years, right? Just, just so you know. Um, that's how much can change. Uh, King Oliver and Dave Nelson composed this tune, New Orleans Shout. Uh, of course, you know, it was the King Oliver Orchestra. This is post-Louis Armstrong. It was recorded December 30th, 1929. And King Oliver, of course, was... Um, he was on trumpet, but he was also on the electric organ. And um, Dave Nelson was also on trumpet. Edmund Jones was on the drums. Hilton Jefferson on the saxophone. Don Fry was on piano. Jimmy Archie was on trombone. Uh, Glenn Pegg was on alto saxophone and clarinet. Roy Smack was on the steel guitar. Arthur Taylor was on the banjo. Um, and Clinton Walker was on the tuba. So, yeah, it was uh, a RCA Victor recording. And I, I want to say, yeah, it was number 49 on the top charts. There was charts even back then. You know, it was like number 49 on Sirius Rotation um, as one of the top songs in 1929. New Orleans Shout, King Oliver and his orchestra. And then we started off that set with the great and sadly missed Roy Hargrove from his album Distractions from 2006. We heard Bullshit, (laughs) which is uh, a tune that was written by D'Angelo. And the horn arrangements were done by Roy Hargrove. And Roy Hargrove, of course, is on the trumpet and flugelhorn. D'Angelo himself was on the vocals. Keith Anderson was laying it down on the saxophone. Todd Parsnow was on the guitar. Lenny Stallworth was on the bass. And J.T. Thomas, Jason Thomas, was on the drums. I love Roy Hargrove. He is still one of the people that I miss dearly that I think he was gone way too soon. So, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that his daughter is, you know, doing some things, you know, to help his estate and his wife and everything. So, um, yeah, we're still longing for some more Roy Hargrove. So whatever we can do to help, you know, preserve his memory and his legacy, let's do that. You know, we all love Roy. So, um, but yeah, where else are you going to find Roy Hargrove with D'Angelo, King Oliver, and James Chance all on the same set? (laughs) 
a docked jazz grab bag. There you have it. All right. Don't forget to check out our website, Dutch Jazz Podcast, drjazzpodcast.wordpress.com. You can also find our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Please share. Tell your friends. We're also on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear some feedback, so feel free to do that. Share it with your friends. Let them know what's up. Get them hip to it. And let's listen to another set of music. Thank you. 
Alright. So that was Impressions slash So What. And that was recorded October 25th, 2001, live at Massey Hall. Yes, that Massey Hall, the same one where Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Mingus, Max Roach, Bud Powell performed as the greatest jazz concert ever, right? But this is in 2001 in Toronto at Massey Hall, and we heard Brian Blade on the drums, John Patitucci laying down a nice, nice intro on the bass, Roy Hargrove again on the trumpet, the great Michael Brecker on the tenor saxophone, and the leader on this date, Mr. Herbie Hancock on the piano. And this comes from the album on Verve Records, Directions in Music, celebrating the music of Miles Davis and John Coltrane. And that's the band, and what a killer band it is. Hancock on the piano, Hargrove on the trumpet, Michael Brecker on the tenor, John Patitucci on ba- uh, uh, yeah, on the bass, and Brian Blade on the drums. And I mean, that, the whole album is killer, but it's a nice version, arrangement of impressions and so what, in that it elongates it and makes it very space-like. It almost seems like it was a tune that should have came out of that second great quintet from the 60s with Wayne, Herbie, Ron, Tony, and Miles. So... Yeah, just super hip stuff. Before that, we heard a solo piano tune. Zonky. Z-O-N-K-Y. Zonky. Written by and performed by the great Thomas Fats Waller. And that track comes from his 1935 Associated Transcriptions records. A lot of just solo stuff, and it's just fans killing it. I mean, swinging his ass off. It's just... mm. I love Fats Waller, and Zonky is not one of those tunes that is very well known. In fact, the New Orleans Jazz Vipers is the one, is the group that got me hip to that song. I wasn't hip to that Fats Waller track. And then it kind of spurred in my imagination, well, if that track's that hip... How many other Fats Waller tracks am I missing out there? And believe me, there's a billion of them. So this guy is probably, should be regarded as one of the greatest composers up there right next to Ellington and Gershwin in the American catalog. Sadly, he's not. But I think history will hopefully be kinder the more we dig. And I dig. And I hope you dig. So, then we started off the set with the great LTD, Long Tall, Dexter Gordon. And we heard Fried Bananas, which is a bebop head over the chord changes to It Could Happen to You. It's a great standard. But um, Dexter Gordon on tenor saxophone, the great Barry Harris on the piano, Buster Williams, odd bass player, but very... Because usually I think of Buster Williams in a much more funky capacity. 
especially around from when this is recorded. But apparently he's killer, you know, standards player as well. Um, Buster Williams on the bass, yeah. And Tootie Heath, Albert Tootie Heath on drums. And this is recorded in April of 1969. Yeah. So, man, yeah. And it comes from Dexter Gordon's album, More Power, which is on the Prestige label. You can find it on CD versions of original jazz classics. I love all those OJCs. Man, yeah, that was one of the first Dexter Gordon albums I really got into. And, man, it's a good one. It really is. Because, I mean, James Moody is also uh, a cameo on this album for two tracks, Lady Bird, Sticky Wicket. And, man, the whole album is just grooving. So hopefully you dug that set. we got some more hip stuff coming at you. Um, yeah, this next set is definitely one of those varied sets. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. <laughs>
That was the great Albert Eiler, joined by his brother Don, Don Eiler on the trumpet. We've also got George Steele on trombone, Joel Friedman on the cello, Michael Sampson on violin. Uh, yeah, man. Let's see. I'm going to dig into these tracks. That was a track called Our Prayer, and it comes from disc one of the Impulse Live in Greenwich Village, the complete Impulse recordings of Albert Eiler. And there's something about that track that is just very hauntingly beautiful. It's a different kind of beautiful, but... Oh, yeah, okay, so here we go. So this was recorded at the Village Gate in New York City on March 28, 1965. Uh, it's Albert Eiler on the tenor saxophone, Don Eiler on the trumpet, Joel Friedman on the cello, Louis Worrell on the bass, the great Sonny Murray on the drums. Yeah, and Our Prayer was actually not composed by Albert Eiler. That one was composed by his brother Don. Huh. There you go. It's it's a beautiful tune, and, you know, it reminds me of this documentary that's out there called My Name is Albert Eiler, and it talks extensively about his intestinal fortitude to, you know, really sticking to his guns when he got started in the whole music business, and it talks about the the mental health struggles that Don has had and all of that. And, um, you know, Albert Eiler supposedly committed suicide by jumping off of a bridge and killing himself. So uh, it talks 
deeply about that as well. You know, so if you've not checked out the documentary on Albert Eiler and you're hip to checking out some Albert Eiler, um, I would advise you to go on YouTube or find the documentary at your local library or something like that. My name is Albert Eiler. It's a great, great documentary. Before that, we heard from Glenn Miller. <laughs> Oh, we heard the Glenn Miller Orchestra with actually Glenn Miller in it, not one of the ghost things, you know. Glenn Miller Orchestra playing George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. You know, there's something about the Glenn Miller filter that he had with that uh, four saxes and a clarinet blended sound, you know. It was a very rich uh, timbre. And, you know, say what you will, I know that Artie Shaw called Glenn Miller the best Republican band in the land, but... And I'm not a fan of, I mean, I used to think that, you know, that that was like the top big band. And then, you know, I got hip to like, you know, what is it? Benny Goodman and then the Buddy Rich band and then the Woody Herman band and the Basie band. So, you know, but there are some nice arrangements out there of tunes that we know fairly well so this is not something that is typical you know like you would hear on the dr jazz podcast but the thing is is that i have ultimate respect for george gershwin and that piece rasty and blue is one of the most gorgeous works ever written and despite of genre and despite of who performs it but taking those melodies and with the glenn miller filter of arranging he adds some nice colors to it. I will have to say that. So I'm giving credit where credit's due. So, and I mean, how else are you going to, you know, find Glenn Miller and Albert Eiler in the same set? I love that. So, and then we open up the set with the great Greg Osby from his... Let's see. Oh, I can't read that. I'm going to have to open it up here. This is from his Blue Note album, Black Book. We heard the track, Black Book, in which they mention, you know, Sarah Vaughn and Duke Ellington, and they're, you know, dropping names like that. And that's really cool. You know what I mean? Um, this has to be a 90s release. Yeah, 1995. There we go. Yeah. It's Greg Osby on alto sax and keyboards. Mulgrew Miller on piano. Crew! Calvin Jones on the bass and Bill McClellan on the drums. Yeah. Then you've got, like, Scratches by DJ Ghetto. You've got Shaki and Mustafa, you know, and Marquita Morris, Taj McCoy, Reva Parker, Bernard Collins Jr. Yeah. 1995 Blue Note, Greg Osby. So, to put it back all into perspective, Greg Osby, Glenn Miller, Albert Eiler, all one set. Where are you going to find that? the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Stay tuned.
the great tenor saxophonist Charlie Rouse from his Columbia Jazz Masterpieces album Charlie Rouse Unsung Hero we heard Stella by Starlight which is just one of the most gorgeous songs ever and it's nice to hear Charlie Rouse really give that a tender treatment before that We heard the Stan Kenton Orchestra, yeah, from 1951. We heard the summer of 50 from the summer of 51 album, Stardust, which is one of my favorite arrangements of Stardust. Uh, I love Stardust because it's such a beautiful song. It's really hard to mess it up, but <clears throat> what's interesting is that this is really an all-star cast, so I'm going to read you the liner notes, a little bit of them. In 1950, Stan Kenton formed his famous 38-piece Innovations Orchestra. The idea was to combine the finest possible jazz band with a miniature symphony orchestra. Six months and $100,000 later, $100,000 in 1950, mind you, Stan scrapped the experiment. But he kept the 19-piece jazz band together, playing standard big band engagements to recoup some of the losses. The band stock with outstanding soloists stayed together only six months and made a few commercial recordings. But during their six-week booking at the Hollywood Palladium, they broadcast nightly over CBS radio. This disc contains some of these high-fidelity broadcast transcriptions. So that's what we heard with that great arrangement of Stardust. Now, (laughs) this listing of the band is really a who's who. Maynard Ferguson, John Howell, Chico Alvarez, Ray Wetzel, and Shorty Rogers on the trumpet. Bill, I'm sorry, Milt Bernhardt, Harry Betts, Bob Fitzpatrick, Dick Kinney, and Bart Barcelona on the trombone. Bud Shank, Art Pepper on the alto sax, Bob Cooper and Bart Calderall on the tenor sax, Bob Gioga, on the Barry sax, Stan Kenton on piano, Ralph Blaze on guitar, Don Bagley on bass, and Shelley Mann on the drums. Killer band. Killer band. Stardust from Stan Kenton, Summer of 51. And then we open up the set with David Murray and uh, Dave Burrell doing a nice duo uh piano and saxophone duo arrangement of the great Jelly Roll Morton's classic The Crave. And this comes from their 1993 album Windward Passages. It's nice to hear even more modern cats at that time, especially in 93, like David Murray taking on Jelly Roll Morton. And with such authenticity, not just trying to like do it to say he's doing it. Just you could tell that there was a lot of tender love and care within that recording of that tune. So kudos to David and Dave Burrell. All right, we got one last set coming at you. Um, three of my favorites, three giants of jazz. Um, yeah. So before we wrap this thing up, I want to also plug the website one more time. Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. 
feel free to leave us a comment. And if you're unsure about what you're hearing or where it comes from, from what album, all you got to do is go to that website and it's all taken care of for you. That way you can go digging through your local record shop or you can order online accordingly. Also, our podcast is found on SoundCloud, iTunes Podcasts, and on Stitcher. So please share this information, tell your friends, love to hear from you. Give me some ideas for future shows, give me some feedback, tell me what you love, what you hate. Always open to hearing comments. And if you have a question, we'll read it on the next podcast and answer it for you. So, let's get to our last set of music. We're going to start this one off with the great Duke Ellington from his New Orleans suite. This is A Portrait of Wellman Bro.
Let him put you down If he dares I'll pick you up for myself Just as soon I don't care You'll never rest on the shelf I've been looking for a girl like you so long A girl so nice and gentle with a love that strong I'll make life for you one grand sweet song Oh, give me a break, sweet mama, and you can't go wrong I for you, you for me That's the only way to love and heart should be So just be glad when he puts you down I'll pick you up for myself
All right. That was the great Miles Davis with a tune called Smooch, which I believe, yeah, that was written by Miles. And it comes from his 1953 album, Blue Haze, on Prestige for the original Jazz Classics label. Killer lineup here. Miles, of course, is on the trumpet. Davy Schildkraut on the alto sax. You usually only hear of Davy Schildkraut from those Brubeck live at the Jazz at the College of the Pacific recordings, but... Davy Schildekraut here with Miles. Then you have three different pianists on this session. John Lewis from the Modern Jazz Quartet, the great Horace Silver, and Charles Mingus out of all folks on the piano. Percy Heath is the bass player, another Modern Jazz Quartet star. And then Max Roach, Art Blakey, and Kenny Clark all share drum responsibility. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, man. So, all right. Before that, we heard from Louis Armstrong and his Hot Five from Louis Armstrong Hot Fives and Hot Sevens Volume 3 on Columbia. We heard the Put Em Down Blues. Now, on this track, Louis Armstrong, of course, is on the trumpet and vocals. Kid Ori is on the trombone. Johnny Dodds is on the clarinet. Lil Harden Armstrong is on the piano. Johnny St. Cyr is on the banjo. And it was recorded in Chicago, September 2nd, 1927. Yeah always good just to add in a, a Louis Armstrong Hot 5 or Hot 7 recording because it's just so awesome. And then we started off the set with Portrait of Wellman Bro. Now Wellman Bro is a bass player uh, who played with Duke Ellington and that's who we heard from is Duke Ellington from his New Orleans suite. It was recorded in um, 19 let's see May 13th, 1970, um, with just a killer group, but sadly, Johnny Hodges was not on the track that we heard, because the different portraits in this suite, Portrait of Louis Armstrong, Portrait of Wellman Bro, Portrait of Sidney Bechet, and Portrait of Mahalia Jackson, were recorded on a later session, and sadly enough, that the, the other titles were recorded April 27, 1970, but Johnny Hodges passed away two days before the recording session. He died on May 11, 1970. Super sad. But a great album nonetheless. And a great track. It's just got that driving bass thing. And you just gotta love that. So, yeah. Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, Miles Davis. Hopefully you've dug the Dr. Jazz grab bag. I'd love to hear some feedback. Um, thank you so much for listening. In the famous words of Duke Ellington, we do love you madly and appreciate your 
your attention, and until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, y'all be good now, because in jazz, we trust.